This is a Spirit of Truth Radio Network original program. Many of us are familiar with the Camino de Santiago in Spain. Pope Alexander VI declared it to be one of the three great pilgrimages along with Jerusalem and Rome. But that declaration was made centuries after Henry VIII's creation of the Church of England and the confiscation and destruction of all things Catholic in England. Before Henry's departure from the Catholic faith, England was known as Mary's Dowry, and a beautiful pilgrimage existed from London to Walsingham. Thanks to the efforts of many, and led by my guest, that pilgrimage has been revived and is now on my bucket list. Joining me along the way is author Andy Bull to discuss the Walsingham Camino. Andy, welcome. Very good to be with you, Dave. It is it's so nice to have you all the way from London, England, this early morning. It is 5 o'clock in the morning here on the East Coast, and it is, uh, what, 10, 10 o'clock? A, 10 a, it's 10 a.m. here, and it's gray, and it's rainy, and hey, no one ever came to London for the weather, right? <laughs> no, I guess not. <laughs> Andy, you are a travel writer, and, I, and I'm so excited to really talk with you about a new, is it a new pilgrimage that's, that's between London and Walsingham, England? Yeah, so what it is, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a recreation um, uh, of uh, a route, the walking route from London to Walsingham, which um, was the most, Walsingham was our most important shrine in England. Um, and, the, and the road going there was the most important road in this country before Henry VIII, who you may have heard of, um, decided that he would break from Rome and um, destroyed the monasteries, flogged them all off to his friends, um, banned pilgrimage, and outlawed the veneration of saints. So we've got this kind of fractured history. Mm-hmm. And although pilgrimage is becoming very popular again in this country, as indeed it is internationally, the walking route from Walsingham had kind of died out, died out centuries ago and not been reestablished, partly because Walsingham is, is a very small village in Norfolk, in the east of England, five miles in from the sea. And um, it's not like Canterbury. You know, Canterbury was always an important city and it had um, Chaucer to kind of keep it in the popular consciousness. With Walsingham, it died out. And lots of people do go to Walsingham now for about the last century when both an Anglican and Catholic shrine were reestablished there. Probably 300,000 people go a year, which is about the same as walk to um, Santiago. Um, But very few of them walk more than the final mile. And when I started looking into it, I realized, I know why they don't walk it, because there's no path. It's not on the maps. You can't buy a guidebook. So I thought, okay, what I need to do, here's my mission. Um, a lady of Walsingham has sent me a mission, and it is, number one, reestablish the walking route. Give people the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I produced a guidebook, um, which, which is this. And the idea is that from that book, it gives you everything you need to know. It tells you transport in, food, drink, accommodation, Uh, It's got GPS um, uh, routes, so you can download it on your phone. Trying to do everything really to help people who would like to walk to Walsingham once they've heard about this opportunity. Try and help them to do it. I think one of the most important things we need to talk about is what was Mary's message at Walsingham? Well, it's a very interesting story. So we're going to go way back here, the year 1061. And there was was, um, a noblewoman who lived in that village, um, called Ricaldis or Ricalis, something like that. Um, and um, she had a dream or a vision in which um, Our Lady came to her and transported her to Nazareth, 
and showed her the holy house, the house where Mary had grown up, the house of the Annunciation, where she knew that she was going to give birth to Jesus, and told Raquel this, build a replica of this house in Walsingham, which she did. This is the 11th century. It was at the time when she built it, it was a simple wooden structure. But over the centuries, um, it got more and more elaborately um, decorated until by the sort of 16th century, by the time it was destroyed by Henry VIII, it was a phenomenal place. I mean, it was covered in jewels and gold and um, there was a statue of Our Lady and there was a miracle associated with it where her milk would flow. Um, and um, it, was, it, was a, it was a phenomenal draw. I mean, kings and queens. Henry himself went several times there, walking barefoot for the last mile, we believe. Catherine of Aragon went there to pray for a son. Um, kings, a string of kings before Henry went there. So this was a phenomenal place. This was the most sacred place in England. Um, and I didn't know that. I'll be honest, I didn't know that. I thought Canterbury, if anyone said to me, where's our most important shrine? I'd say Canterbury and the, and the shrine of, um, um, uh, of, of, um, of Thomas Beckett. But mm. when you think about it, Beckett was killed. He was um, a, 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 a clergyman who fell out with a king. He was in a power struggle with a king and he got murdered for it. With Walsingham and Mary, there's none of that. She wasn't a martyr. It was, um, it was, it was a very, very um, close connection with Mary that that I think we had in this country. Um, England used to be called Mary's Dowry. You know that it was it was um, uh, a gift to Mary, and um, Mary um, was essentially mother to this country and mother to us all. And I get quite emotional, as you can probably tell, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I'm not quite sure why. But that's the kind of fundamental feeling I get when I go to Walsingham. And I, I think it's very different. I don't do a pilgrimage like I, I, people can do it for whatever reason they want. Whatever they get out of it is fine. People of all faiths and no faiths. They can do it as a kind of, um, you know, to, to work things out in their lives um, as um, like a physical challenge. Some people see it as a bit like an Iron Man challenge. And that's all absolutely fine. Anyone can do it whatever they want. But for me, it's about Mary. It's about faith. It's about it's about England's fractured history, 500 years or 400 years of no one going to Walsingham, um, pilgrimage being banned, um, you know, the, 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 the solace that the ordinary people got from the veneration of saints and the veneration of Mary wiped out. And I, I just think that that's, it's a really powerful part of our history to, to, um, to try and, well, reestablish, but like give people the option, you know, people know about it. They can say, yeah, well, thanks, Andy, but I'm, you know, I'm not really interested in that. I'd much rather go to Spain. It's fine. But it's another option. You mentioned a couple of times different people making the last mile. How many miles long mm. is, is this? So it's, it's from London. It's 180 miles, which is around about 245 kilometers. So the book basically divides it into 13 day stages of around about 14 miles a day. And that gives you... With a, with a one day break halfway, it's a 14 day um, uh, itinerary. So essentially people, if they wanted to, could do it in their, their holiday, you know, their, their vacation. Um, but also I split each of those um, uh, 14, day, 14 um, mile routes by half. So people who really would much rather walk six or seven miles can do that. And hopefully at every point there's accommodation, there's public transport in and out. So it, it really, hopefully is as flexible as people want to make it is it possible for people to do it in, in different stages and what i mean by that is could you say one year do the first half and then come back do the next half 
Is that Absolutely, possible? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it is. Each each of the 13 stages is self-contained. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, like when I was researching the book, I didn't walk the whole thing initially. I mean, I would say get the train to the start of, you know, maybe section three and I would walk section three. Then I'd get the train home again. So you can do that. So hopefully, it, yeah, people could do it on a day off, on a, on a Sunday, on a, you know, any 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 time that they have or or as you say, take it in stages and do it over the years, as quite a lot of people, I think, do when they're going to Santiago in Spain. How many people do you think walk this path? Well, it's quite interesting. Um, at the moment, almost none. Really? <laughs> but we are, launch- we are launching the book. Um, uh, I, should, I should, just a, a one, one clar- qualification on that. There are some church groups that have walked it for a number of years, um, including um, Pilgrim Cross, an organization called Pilgrim Cross. They walk it on foot from various destinations, but um, they're kind of, they, they, they're doing it as a group and, and, you know, you can join them and join them, but go with them. But the, to get access um, uh, easily, it, it, it was almost impossible before, before we, we, got, we got this guidebook out. Um, yeah. Is now is is this a marked path? Is it sure? It's not currently waymarked. One reason for that is we've um, we've had to be quite pioneering here because what we had to do was, as you can probably imagine, in five hundred years, routes have changed, and the original route used to go out of London on a Roman road called Ermine Street, which is now a major road going right out through the through the um, through the suburbs, mm-hmm. and it's not a pleasant walk. So what we what we did at every stage, and I had a lot of volunteers who helped me with this, was we looked for a parallel route, which was as close as possible to the original, but which was a great walking route. So the other thing is, it's a walk of veneration if you want to make it that, but it's also a fantastic walk. Anyone who enjoys walking will enjoy this, even if they're, they're getting nothing spiritual out of it. Mm. Um, and, and when I was doing that, I was a little bit nervous, but there's the, for the first 30 miles, we found if you go like a mile to the east of this road, Ermine Street, which is now the A10, there's a, a thing called the Lee Valley, and it's a river valley. And for 30 miles, the first 30 miles of, of the walk, you can walk up that out of London without touching tarmac. So that was kind of a great incentive. And, and I was talk, it, it goes to a place called Waltham Abbey. And I was speaking to the priest at the at the church there. And I said I was a little bit nervous about making these kind of changes. And he said, "Don't worry about it. Um, the monks at this abbey, which is a very important abbey pre-Reformation, the monks of this abbey used to travel up that river. Some pilgrims did, and Henry VIII certainly did because he used to like to come up, get away from court, get away from London and the pressures of of, of ruling, um, and have um, intellectual discussions with the prior." So what I found was that um, I was nervous about at lots of points about what I was doing, but I found that there was um, there was a kind of justification. And, and, and although it may sound strange to some people, I've been guided in this by um, by Our Lady all the way through. The guidance has come, and when I felt I'm coming up against a barrier, uh, the barrier has been shifted. Or when you know one 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 avenue comes to a dead end i suddenly get an email from someone who's saying i've heard about what you're doing i would like to do x you know like mm. somebody did recently about um trying to create um, pilgrim sanctuaries along the route so it's been a very interesting interesting journey how much does it cost on the average to to do this this pilgrimage yeah it, By that the, is you yeah. know obviously um spain is known for its having its hostels and Places yeah. to eat, and you know what? What am, 
kind of fac facilities are available for pilgrims? Yeah. Well, that is, so stage one was to get the guidebook out and, you know, we've got pilgrim stamps in the, in the, in the, in the churches and, and, and the churches are on board. Um, but the next stage really is to try and, and establish the kind of, or reestablish the kind of um, facilities that they have got in Spain. And we don't have those because they were destroyed. We never, we never so much had the kind of the little hostelries that they have in, in Spain, but we did have religious houses where pilgrims and travelers were always made welcome. And we also had inns, you know, like the famous English pub, which, particularly during lockdown, looked like it was a bit of an endangered species. <laughs> That's very important. So, so there are, there are along the route, there are a lot of inns which are still functioning. Some of them are very, very nice. Village pubs where you can sleep and stay at relatively inexpensively. But I have to admit that um, it's expensive. And a lot of people say, well, I'm going to go to Spain because, you know, it's 10 euros a night and I can get a, you know, a pilgrim meal for about the same. Um, we don't have that here. So, you know, I would say a, an average hotel um, bill probably along the way for, you know, people doing bed and breakfast is probably going to be 60 or 70 pounds, which I guess is probably 80, 90 euros, maybe about the same in US dollars, something like that. Mm -hmm. So if you're walking for a fortnight, you can see it, it's not going to be cheap, mm -hmm. but compare that to what a lot of people spend on their annual vacation. It's it's not excessive. However, that said, what, what I'm now doing is um, stage two is to try and establish, talk to all the villages along the way and the churches that have got church halls, village halls, and ask them if they will be prepared to partner with us um, and establish um, what we're calling a sanctuary. So a pilgrim sanctuary where very inexpensively you can stay the night, you can get a meal. And I'm partnering in that with an organization called the British Pilgrimage Trust. And completely out of the blue, um, a lady who's, a, who's um, uh, um, a custodian there, a trustee, Emma Bridgewater, got in touch and said she was interested in the route from London to Walsingham and re-establishing it um, and didn't know I'd written this book, didn't know I'd established a route and had had this idea with some friends to want to put, to try and uh, find a route um, from London and to get these sanctuaries established. So she was saying, well, look, you've done half the work. <laughs> so it, again, this was a really fortuitous thing, you know, and it's uh, guidance from Our Lady is my opinion of what it is. We found each other and now we hope to um, partner with a few villages along the way as models, because you can understand you're in a little village. And this, this is a lot, of, a lot of rural areas where there, you know, there's not a lot of jobs, there's not a lot of income coming in, where I believe pilgrims could um, help those economies like they have done in Spain. But you can understand if someone's running a church hall and saying, well, hang on, how do I go about this? What about my insurance? How, how many, what staff do I have to have? Um, what facilities do I have to give them? Mm -hmm. So what we hope to do is to, is to partner with individual um, parishes and get them through those obstacles, get them through those hurdles so that we can start, begin to start offering the kind of um, pilgrim network that, that they have in Spain. What is the terrain like? I mean, can, can people with, with disabilities, can they accomplish this? It, it's pretty gentle. It's essentially um, uh, rolling hills for the first bit. Um, well, actually, first 30 miles out of London, dead flat because it's alongside a river. Mm -hmm. um, after that, kind of gently rolling English countryside, the typical southern English countryside you might think of. When you get to the, the east towards Walsh, you're in a county called Norfolk, and that is famously very flat. 
Um, so it's, it's, it's not physically challenging. Any kind of seasoned walker, 14 miles on undemanding terrain, it's not going to be a problem for her. Probably going to do it in five, maybe six hours, you know, break for lunch. It's a, it's a comfortable, comfortable day's walk. Um, it's mainly on footpaths, almost exclusively on footpaths, a little bit of um, quiet um, lane walking in Norfolk where they don't have many footpaths. In terms of access for wheelchairs and things, just not unfortunately on, on the cards at the moment. But down the line, I mean, someone else contacted me and said, I want to create a cycling route. Fantastic. Another brilliant opportunity. And I hope one day we can say, let's create a, a wheelchair route or a, a route for you know, people um, with impaired sight, that kind of thing. That, that, will, that will be amazing to do that. Yeah, sure would. So this project is truly in its infancy. Yeah. You are possibly crossing over on private property. Is that an issue at all? Where, okay, one of the fortunate things that we have in, in the UK is we have these things called public footpaths. So they're rights of way, which appear on maps um, and are established. Oh, okay. Um, and, and a lot of the routes also, because walking is becoming very popular in this country, there are routes like, for instance, a, a council a, a, in, a, in a county will create a route. So like there's, there's one called the Hertfordshire Way, which goes across a county called Hertfordshire. And we follow that for quite a way. So what, I've, what, I've, what we've been able to do is to link um, some established long distance paths, which is really helpful because it means, you know, the path is there, it's generally being maintained, um, it's not a problem. You did mention um, waymarking. I would like one day to waymark it, but because this is a pioneering effort, at the moment it exists electronically. And when you buy the book, you get the, the codes to download the maps on your phone. So it, it exists as a GPX route. Um, and that's kind of an advantage at this stage, because if we need to change the route, I mean, for instance, in Norfolk, there's a farm where they've got swine fever. I can't walk through that farm. I have had to find a diversion. But hopefully in a year or two, swine fever will go and we can we can go on the route through so i think as we're pioneering this route it's quite useful that it isn't waymarked because we don't have to kind of change things and there's no physical infrastructure to change but yeah waymarking it would be another wonderful thing to do andy you mentioned just a you know a little while ago about how the, the, the pandemic had kind of locked you down and everything was it in england was it the same way as it was here in the united states everybody was out for a walk yeah, now that is that's a very interesting point, Dave, because um, I started researching this during lockdown. We had a lockdown here pretty similar, I think probably stricter than the States. So for a long time, we could only go out for an hour a day. Um, some, in some areas, we were restricted to like five miles from your house. You were told, don't go further than you need to, you know, keep contact to a minimum. But yeah, we were allowed to go out and walk. And I've got this idea, this project, um, and um, I, 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 I've got an idea of the route. Um, but I can't walk here. So there's an organization called the Confraternity of St. James, which is an organization that aids British pilgrims who want to walk to Santiago. So I was a member of that already, and I teamed up with them. And I thought, well, look, there's a lot of people like me who can only walk locally. What about if I ask members of the Confraternity of St. James who live along the route, give them a map and say, can you check this out? Does it work? And they did. I had this amazing team of volunteers who'd go out and say, Andy, that one's fine, but here that path doesn't really exist on the road, on, on the, on, you know, though it's on a map, it, on the ground, it doesn't exist. Or Here's a better way to go. Here's a place you're missing an old um, monastery here. So what we did was we honed and refined it um, until we've got what we think is, is the best route. 
but it took you know a couple of years during lockdown to get that done and in a way lockdown was kind of a blessing because i think without it i wouldn't have done it um and, and all those people who couldn't go to spain they were kind of going stir crazy at home <laughs> and, yeah. and some of them said to me you i'm so glad you gave me a, you gave me a purpose during lockdown i could go out and i could walk this route so that, that was another lovely thing that happened yeah you just said how how uh, lockdown was a was a blessing for you and it, it, and it truly was for me too because this program this this podcast was supposed to be me sitting down with people uh, along the way <laughs> along the journey so we get yeah. locked down and i had to find a way to you know do this podcast yeah. and yeah if it wasn't for that i would probably not be having this conversation with you right now so um well, there you go yeah so i mean it in many ways, it was a blessing if if you want to use it that way, and and I'm so glad that you that you were able to reach out to that organization and and have them help you because I honestly yeah. think that you know getting more people involved in it may have been one of the things that that helped. Uh... Yeah, well, also Dave, you know, there's a commercial aspect to this. So um, I have a publisher who who published a previous previous books of mine, but mm -hmm. when I came to him with this project, he said it's not it's not viable. You can't. You can't publish a guidebook about a route that no one's walking, about a route you've just invented. You, you know, it's much better. You wait until, you know, hundreds, thousands of people are walking it. You know, it's a no-brainer. So it took a lot of persuading, and I, I had to get funding. I had to get, you know, funding from um, uh, people who, who wanted to see this project work. And the publisher, because he had a commercial aspect to this, he, he said a couple more things. Number one, you need pilgrim stamps in the churches. So I've got 20, 20 churches to have pilgrim stamps in them. And there's a pilgrim passport. And the pilgrim passport is maybe familiar to people. You know, this is, this is the thing a lot of people who go to Spain have. Mm -hmm. um, this one, the Confraternity of St. James, is, um, is the only organization in the UK allowed to sell those passports. Hmm. So the link up with them has really helped because they have a power which is deputed to them from the um, cathedral authorities in Santiago to declare English routes Camino Ingles feeder routes to Santiago. Mm -hmm. So what we've been able to do is we've been able to establish um, to the CSJ's satisfaction that people who walked to Walsingham, pilgrims who walked to Walsingham, also walked to Santiago, wow. including Catherine of Aragon. And if, if we now you've got the evidence and they say, OK, it's declared a Camino Inglés. And one of the little things that, that that gives you a benefit is if you walk at least 25 kilometers, say about 15, 16, 17 miles of that route and get the pilgrim stamps, that counts towards the minimum 100 kilometers you must have walked to get to Santiago to get your Compostela. So essentially, you can start your pilgrimage on the way to Walsingham. And then when you get to Spain, you can do the shortest route from Acaruna, 75 kilometers. So what this was another thing, get the pilgrim stamps, get the passport and lock it into the pilgrim network. So people who are naturally thinking about walking to Santiago because they've seen the way, they've read the many, some of the many thousands of books that seem to have been written by people on that route. Mm -hmm. They think, okay, I have an option. You know, pilgrims in, in, in England, they started from their front door. You know, you can start much closer to home and do the first bit in this country, which again, hopefully opens it to, um, to as many people as possible. That's absolutely amazing. And it's so cool. I mean... <laughs> At, at the end of the at the uh, end of the way in Spain, there's there's some sort of a ceremony. Is there is there any kind of yeah. plans for a ceremony in Walsingham? 
Well, the thing about Walsingham is, and, and if, if, if people haven't been there, I'd describe it. It's a very small village. It's built around the ruined abbey. And in the grounds of the abbey is the site of the Holy House, which mm -hmm. Henry was so fearful of, so hateful of, that he destroyed utterly, it's completely destroyed. But you can go there and um, they welcome pilgrims there. Um, there are also, well, there are three shrines. There's an Orthodox shrine, but the two principal shrines in the village, there's an Anglican shrine, which was re-established um, about a hundred years ago. And there they built a replica. At the heart of that is a replica of the Holy House. It's an amazing thing to go to, really incredible. Mm -hmm. um, and then a mile out, is the Catholic shrine, which is at a place called the Slipper Chapel. And that was, that's the only bit that survives of the original um, pilgrim hostelry route. So a mile out, people would go to the Slipper Chapel and we believe took their shoes off and walked the final holy mile barefoot. That's the, that's the Catholic shrine. So you, any pilgrims are welcome there. But there are many pilgrimage over the year. There are about 300,000 people go to Walsingham, about the same as go to Santiago, but virtually none of them walk more than the, the final mile. But it is an amazing place. I mean, it's like, I can only liken it to Lourdes in that it's a village which pilgrimage, the whole point of this place is pilgrimage. Almost anyone who goes there, goes there on pilgrimage. It's not like, you know, you go to a city, but you want to see the cathedral as part of your visit. Walsingham is all about pilgrimage and it's an incredibly holy place. I mean, it, it just resonates with, with holiness there. And also it's very fractured history. So there are martyrs, there's a place called Martyrs Field where um, uh, local people who tried to defend the Holy House when um, Henry's men were come to destroy it were, were killed and, and um, uh, uh, hung, hung, drawn and quartered in, in this field. So there's a lot going on there, a heck of a lot going on there. And um, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, it's just a remarkable place. You know, Andy, in the short time that I've known you, I've, every time I mention the name Mary, the mother of God, your face lights up. Tell me, where does your, your love for her come from and what is your spirituality like? Um, so I'm a, I'm a Catholic. Um, I became a Catholic when I married my wife and she wanted to bring the children up as Catholics. And to be honest, at that point, I was a kind of a lapsed Anglican. Um, uh, but um, then I got a kind of a process of, um, see, you know, it's very personal, this, but my father died mm. and um, I was very conscious of his presence after his death, which I still am, and also of my mother now. So this kind of, although people can dismiss it, this is my personal fundamental experience that there is an afterlife, that people are with us, loved ones are with us after they die. And I frankly, my spirituality could have been could have been channeled through any church. It happens to be challenged through, channeled through the Catholic Church. But I do find organized religion a challenge, you know, as any organization run by men and women. It's mm -hmm. going to be imperfect. And there are many imperfections in, in the Catholic Church and not just the Catholic Church. So I actually, it's very personal, emotional with me. And I'd find it very hard to put it into words. It's a kind of, it's, I suppose it's a feeling, you know, Dave, it's a very fundamental feeling and belief and a sense of sanctity. And a bit like people say, well, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll know it when I see it. I, I know it when I feel it. And I, I felt it in Walsingham and in establishing this route and, and all the other things we're going to try and do. I, I've, I felt it, you know, very strongly and increasingly strongly. And um, it's going to come to, there's going to be an amazing event 
on the 25th of, of March, um, which is the Feast of the Annunciation, mm -hmm. when we're going to launch the route and the book in Walsingham. We're going to walk the final two stages of the route from a place called Castle Acre. We're going to have um, receptions um, uh, both at the Catholic and Anglican shrines um, and also um, an ecumenical service. We're not quite sure where that will be yet. Um, hopefully a visit to the, to the Holy House. Um, so that's going to be a really important thing. And, you know, there is this commercial side to things. And, and well, commercial in a good way, in that we need to get the word out. So mm -hmm. wonderful speaking to you, Dave, about this. But it's like we need the secular press, we need the secular media to kind of wake up and do something about this. And we hope, well, the religious press too, hopefully the religious press will take the launch at Walsingham um, on the Feast of the Annunciation as, as a kind of a, an important thing to cover. But I would like to think we can get on our TV here and our radio and just to try and, and get the word out. What kind of Catholic television does, does England have? Yeah, there are, there there is there are um, there is a channel I believe um, a, a kind of a um, an internet um, TV channel and and there's radio station there's a radio station called um, Radio Maria. Um, yeah, I'm not too familiar with those to be absolutely honest with you, but they they do exist. Are you familiar with EWTN? Yes. Yeah. I mean, does does EWTN have a presence in in England? Yes, they do. Um, I'm not sure exactly where. I might be wrong. So just you know. Fact check here. They may have a presence in in Walsingham. I'm not entirely certain about that, but there is a TV studio in Walsingham. Mm. Andy, we don't have a budget for fact checking here. We just <laughs> <I'm sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> well, cut it out, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, just to tell a little story here, the first time that I had I had found out about this, I had sent Andy an email. We had kind of agreed to uh, do this interview, and this was a while ago. Yeah. And my producer, Dave Imhoff, I had sent him an email saying, yeah, let's, let's talk to this gentleman. And well, new London, Connecticut has a different time zone than London, England. And I, and I think I had, I had miscommunicated with Dave about the time and he had sent you some times that would have ended up you doing this at about two 30 in the morning. I think it was. So I'm glad that, you know, you came back and, yeah. and, uh, we're able to do this. Yeah. Um, well, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, Dave, and I'm really glad we've managed to sort things out between us. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, this has been great. Tell me about some of the other. I mean, you you say you're you're a travel writer. So, tell me about some of the other pilgrimages yeah. that you've written. Well, about. so like I I've only been on pilgrimage in in this country, but um before this project, I wanted to go on pilgrimage, and I, and I thought I don't I don't want to walk like 180 miles or 200 miles. I want to walk something I could do in a weekend. So I came up with this idea for a book called, um, well, which is actually called um, Pilgrim Pathways, um, but it was going to be called The Weekend Pilgrim. Um, it couldn't be called The Weekend Pilgrim because lockdown came and people couldn't go away for the weekend. <laughs> so the publisher said, hold on, Andy, just, you know, we're going to have to adapt this. But essentially what that was, was 20 two-day pilgrimages in England, Wales, and Scotland. And the idea was it was like an introduction for people on pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. And um, what I discovered was that in, in, in England, Wales, and Scotland, there are a lot of local saints. And before, um, you know, Henry outlawed um, uh, pilgrimage, there would be, people would go on a, on a holy day, a holiday, holy day, holiday, would go to their local shrine. So what I was doing was um, looking at, you know, some of these routes, some of them quite obscure, saints who are only known locally, others important saints like... Um, Cuthbert um, and Oswald, um, uh, 
roots, you know, roots that um, really um, delved into the kind of the Christian history of, of the country. So that kind of got me into pilgrimage. But I also do secular books. I mean, a, a long time ago, I wrote a book called um, Coast to Coast, a rock fans US tour. And that was a, a trip across the States where I went to places that um, big major stars were from before they were famous. So I would go to like Woodstock and um, talk to the lady who ran the cafe when um, Bob Dylan was renting a room upstairs and he would come down and say, can I play this for you? And they go, not now, Bob, you know, we got customers to serve and, you know, stuff like that. Like, Can you I imagine telling that... Bob Dylan no? <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, but, you know, you've got a short order chef who's griddling the eggs and Bob wants to sing Blown in the Wind. No, sorry, Bob, you'll have to wait. Anyway, I don't so care. It's like that. That was that approach. I don't care. Bob Dylan walks into my restaurant. <laughs> Bob, play whatever you want. And, and you guys have, yeah. a, you know, England has some of the, the best musicians from, you know, like the Rolling Stones. One of my favorite, though, and, and a lot of people don't know him here in the States, Chris Rhea. Are you familiar with him? Oh, yeah, I am. Yes. yes. What, what a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal yes. singer and uh, yeah. guitarist. Did he write Driving Home for Christmas? Is he did. Him? I don't know if he yeah, wrote yeah. So it, that, but he performed it. Yeah, that that you can imagine that gets played a lot here at Christmas. It does here yeah. too. There's there's only like a couple of songs that that uh, he sings that that make airtime here in the states. But uh-huh. it was back in the '80s. It was um, the song "The Road to Hell." Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I think that was like '89 or something, or '88 or something uh-huh. like that. Yeah, that that was the song that that kind of got me into Chris Rea and just just a okay. you know phenomenal, and and even his later stuff is is, is great and you know he's a survivor. I think he was a survivor of pancreatic cancer and uh-huh. so you wrote a book about you know rock music and yeah you know like going right across the states like where the Beach Boys hung out when they were kids. Um, did um, Athens, Georgia, REM, their kind of places, you know, they said, mm-hmm. I don't know what they're like now, but that amazing presence in the town. And after that, I wrote a book called Strange Angels. And that was about um, really, really um, committed fans of James Dean, Marilyn Monroe, um, uh, Elvis mm-hmm. and, and JFK, uh, because I'd realized that there were like, there were rituals through the year um, that people would go, you know, there's like James Dean's death drive. People will follow the route he took exact timings getting to the point where he was so you know tragically killed in a car accident um uh, on the on the anniversary of um jfk's assassination there was a very very big event at the you know what's become known as the grassy knoll in, in dallas and so in fact i i talked to my priest about that after i'd written that book and he said why don't you write about real angels and i thought at the time yeah, no one's going to buy a book about real angels. And, you know, in a funny way, this is 20 years, probably more than 20 years ago. In a funny way, he, he kind of, I have come to do that, you know, and um, it's just, it's just happened that way. Yeah. I was going to say that, you know, those, you know, James Dean's final route and, you know, Graceland for all mm-hmm. this, those are all pilgrimages to, to, to secular heroes. Do you know, absolutely. And you know, like when uh, Queen Elizabeth II died um, just before last end of last year, I don't know if it made the news in, in the States, but there was a huge, huge line, a huge queue going for like 10 miles to see her. And a lot of people compared that to a pilgrimage, you mm. know, so they said, because it's got lots of things in common. It's got what people say about Spain, the camaraderie of the fellow pilgrims around you, the hardship 
of kind of queuing all night in the dark in the middle of London, um, the, um, the kind of the, the, the sense of expectation. And, and what they didn't say was, you know, a, a, a person at the heart of it. You know, not in this case a saint, a, a, a woman, but a woman who was hugely admired. And um, yeah, I think people get pilgrimage. You know, in the book I mentioned, uh, Pilgrim Pathways, about short pilgrimages, mm -hmm. I do a pilgrimage to um, Stonehenge, which is a prehistoric site. Um, and we know from 8,000 years ago, people were going there on pilgrimage. Obviously, clearly, you know, totally, totally pre-Christian, but they were going there on pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. They were walking, some of them, from a, another historic site called Avebury, traveling part of the way on a river. And they were doing a journey, which, which some, um, uh, some um, uh, historians believe was like um, mirroring the journey of, of, of from life to death. So um, Avebury was, was birth and um, Stonehenge was death. And you, and you mirrored that and you, you know, remembered your, your ancestors and so on. So I think pilgrimage, our instinct for pilgrimage is something, that's why I say for people of all faiths and none, I think that clearly there's evidence pilgrimage has been with us ever since you know we were sentient beings and it will always be with us um but uh, for a lot of people it's become secular um and a lot of people don't have the kind of vocabulary you know of of the church they don't they don't go into a church they don't they don't know any of this stuff so mm -hmm. there's a thing in in the north of england called the angel of the north which is an enormous structure it's like a huge metal angel great wings are really massive i can't remember how big but it's the biggest sculpture certainly in this country and possibly in Europe. And I went there, not as a pilgrim, but when I, all around it, people have built shrines, you know? It's meant to be a completely secular thing, but, but it is called an angel. And around it, there are shrines. And so you see a mix of the kind of things, and, and you know, like there are really tragic ones, like children have died terribly young, mm -hmm. and there are teddy bears and rainbows and um, hearts, but there are also crosses. And it's like once when, when, you know, being being part of an organised religion was just part of everyone's life. People would have gone to their church to express this, but now they don't. And it makes me think they're not doing it in church. They they could do, and maybe they are as well. But there are a lot of people are they're they're express they've got all the needs. They're expressing all the kind of um, emotions uh, that that you know pilgrims and um, and the tradition the conventionally faithful do, but they're doing it in a kind of in a way where the language is kind of, I mean, it sounds very judgmental, but for me, it, the language has become debased. You know, teddy bears and rainbows and so on, that, they're, they're lovely sentiments, but there is something more. And, and that's why I think pilgrimage is a kind of, um, it's a gateway to people um, into maybe deepening their faith or maybe finding a way that they can tolerate organized religion, you know? Because I know for a lot of people, it's just very difficult to, to tolerate it. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I don't want to get political, but, you know, that, those are just go through my head. And it's, it's just my personal journey, and I'm not trying to impose it on anyone else. In any no, and that's, that's what this show is about, Andy. It's about people sharing their experiences with me, and then the audience gets to hear it as, as well. But that's what this is about. It's about two guys sitting down, sharing their experience. I mean, I, I have right. to tell you that I'm, I live probably an hour a little over an hour away from the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And that is actually a very, very profound... I've had some profound experiences there. So mm -hmm. when, I, when I hear you talk about pilgrimage, I, I put myself in that position by my experience. 
So that's kind of like what what I'm hoping that this show does is it it, it allows the audience to to share both of our experiences mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. to seek uh, a deeper maybe maybe to make a pilgrimage to Walsingham. Yeah. Can I, can I ask you, Dave? I don't mean to turn the tables and it would be you. No, I. What, what's your What's your experience of pilgrimage? Are you, do you like to go regularly on pilgrimage? You know, I, I grew up in Massachusetts as an Irish Catholic Red Sox fan. And for years and years and years, Fenway Park was my my cathedral. Okay. okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get you. Yeah. It was when I came back to the church, I started praying the rosary that just sitting in a church, venerating the, the blessed sacrament, you know, doing, uh, you know, holy hours, that and going to mass, that became my pilgrimage. It, it was like, I... I I just I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the the buildup of the week mm. to mass. Mm. You know, um, I've mm. had you know been to the shrine of the Divine Mercy a number of times. Um, I've been on retreat a bunch a bunch of times, and uh-huh. so I do a lot of. I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, the Knights of Columbus. Yes, yeah. I do a lot of work with uh, Dave Imhoff, who does a tremendous amount of work with the Knights of Columbus. So we, uh, one of our, both of our favorite saints is, he's not a saint, but his father, Michael J. McGivney, who was the founder. And we just went down to uh, St. Mary's church in New Haven. And that's where his, his uh, body is, is in, is right there in the church. And that to me was just absolutely amazing to be right there with father McGivney, who's was such a wonderful man. I I know what you mean about you know how pilgrimages can can make a, a, such a big deal in your in your life. They can make a difference. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Andy, is there anything that I'm missing? Is there anything that uh, people should know about this your new book? Yeah, well, um, it's it would be lovely if people could um, if we're interested and and they could buy. Um, uh, so it's available. It's published by um, a publisher called trailblazer guides um so if you google them you'll find it you can buy it through their website i know they have free posters internationally it's also available from amazon um in the us and and in the uk and 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 around the world um so yeah i mean um you know this is not this is not a kind of a commercial project for me at all. I mean, as I mentioned, we've, we've had to find investors. We've had to find people who, who could support it. Mm-hmm. So if anyone feels moved to buy a copy of the book to support it, that would be wonderful. Um, I also have um, a Facebook page called London to Walsingham Camino. So if you search on Facebook for London to Walsingham Camino, um, you'll, you'll find regular posts there. There's a bit of a hiatus over the winter, but certainly when we come up towards the spring, um, I tend to post every few days and I do highlights from the walk, snippets, um, great pilgrim hostelries along the way. And when we get to March, when we do the launch, we, we hope to get a lot of coverage. And then once again in, in April, I'm going to walk the whole route and I'm, I'm you know, looking for a, a small group of pilgrims who will who walk that with me. And that will be the first time that um, we've actually um, publicly walked walked the whole the whole route from London. So that will kind of be another another milestone, you know. Um, probably the first time that anyone has walked this full route, um, other than these small church groups, since um, 1538. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Quite a while. 
Wow. So, you know, there's a, there's a way to history there. You want to take a podcaster along with you? Yeah, absolutely, Dave. You would be very welcome. Very oh, welcome indeed. That would be, that would be amazing. I would, I would absolutely love this. Someday, right. someday I will, I will get to London. I, I've yeah. never been. And uh, when we do, well, when I do, I will bring a bottle of Bob Dylan's whiskey. Great. And you will, <laughs> and before we, we go into one of those, those famous London pubs, we'll have a, we'll have a, yeah. we'll have a shot. I, Dave, I will take you to the, um, the pub, which is very, very close to the one that Chaucer's Pilgrim set off from. And, um, and uh, then we would take it from there. I could take you to the Tower of London and show you the, um, the Salt Tower where all the Catholic martyrs um, scratched their prayers into the walls. So, yeah, pil- mm. coming to London as a pilgrim is another interesting way to see London. It's very different from, you know, Harrods and Buckingham Palace and the mm. London Eye. It's, it's, hey, it's, it's a really profound experience. One last question. What made Queen Elizabeth II so beloved by her, by her country? I think partly um, it was... Well, long, longevity has something to do with it. She was with us, you know, like um, she was about three years older than my mother. Um, so like people, my grand, you know, my kids' grandparents, someone that she'd known through all, through all those lives. Also, she was very wise in that she never, you never knew what her personal views were. You might get an inkling. She'd known so many prime ministers. I, I forget how many it is, but... I, I have, a, I have a feeling it might have been 15. So all those people, the prime minister goes every week for an audience with the queen. And, um, you know, from what we understand, we'll discuss things with her, get her advice, tell, tell them her troubles. So she soaked up an awful lot of knowledge and experience over those years. And the world leaders she's met, you know, American leaders she's met going way back, um, you know, right up to Obama and, um, and so on. So mm-hmm. she... I think for a lot of people, she was she was this kind of mother figure, you know, like, and that's why I think the the thought that her, her the line the queue to to see her lying in state was was likened to pilgrimage because she was a person who was you know, you know, so hugely admired, mm-hmm. um, and um, and I think there's a sense of passing, you know, there will never be another person like her, you know, as far as we can we can foresee. Probably not. Well, there's another queen, yeah. and her name is Mary, and we love her to death. Yes, absolutely. And I hope that she prays for us, and knowing that she prays for us at the hour of our death. Yeah. So, Andy Bull, it has been an absolute pleasure to meet you and to, to spend this time with you. If there's anything I can do for you to promote this, I, I believe in this, this wholeheartedly. I'll do anything I can to help you. Well, Dave, that's wonderful. You know, you're getting the word out with this podcast, which is fantastic. If anyone listening or watching this podcast would like, you want to put them in touch with me if they've got any thoughts, any help they want to give, any advice. I'm, I'm really open to to any anything people want to come forward with. And, you know, I do believe that there will be people who uh, Mary is going to point towards me. So, yeah. Hopefully I'm one of them because uh, anytime I can get Mary's you attention. definitely are. You <laughs> anytime, definitely are, Dave. Anytime and, I can get Mary's attention. To coming to London. Well, I, and I, I hope I can get in the country with a bottle of Heaven's Door. It's Bob Dylan's uh, whiskey, and it's a Tennessee whiskey. And um, Fantastic. I look forward to it. Thank you, my friend. So for my guest, Andy Bull, my producer, David Imhoff, I'm down the hall, Dave, always praying.
Let your troubles be less, your blessings be more, and nothing but happiness come through your door. We'll see you next time. <laughs>